Huh. Today's still July 13th. I was thinking it was the 14th. And then, like, when I put this out, it'll be the 15th. But, uh, I looked at the calendar and it says, no, no, it's the 13th. And you'll be putting this out on the 14th. Some, uh, interesting podcasting. I know. Don't mean to brag, but, uh, change the name of this to, uh, to dates and dates and stuff. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Dates and Stuff. Oh, just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. It's Soups on Hockey. I'm your host, Tyler Campbell. How's it going? I believe it was Matchbox 20 who said, It's been a long day. I think it said always is the next word of that song. It was a bad song. It was, you know, it was 1998 when uh, when that album came out. And I thought it was the shit. And well, it's 3 a.m. I must be lonely. Yeah, you know, you know, you know that chestnut. Uh, But yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired. It was free agency today. And uh, I made sure I was uh, free to tweet away. And boy, boy, was I quick on the trigger. Tweeting and texting and doing, you know, well, that's it. Just tweeting and texting. Lots happened. Let's get right into it. Johnny Goudreau. Your newest member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. 24 hours ago, didn't think we'd say that. 24 hours ago, if we had said that, I think we all would have agreed, oh, he's probably going to be the highest paid player in the league. I just can't shake the feeling that something something happened here. Because let's go over the events. Middle of the day, I think it was Frank Saravelli puts out that Goudreau was offered 7 times 12 by the Blue Jackets. And I believe it was after that. Now, it doesn't really matter if it was before or after that, but... I believe it was after that broke that the Jackets then did the worst deal of the day, which was Eric Goodbranson four times four. Oh, oh, gross. So gross. If my voice changed for a minute there, it was because I felt one of my uh, mustache hairs protruding into my mouth. And so I decided to bite my lip and rip it. Rip it right out. And I'm not joking. I actually did that. Why would I go get a trimmer when I can just rip it painfully from my lip? Which is what I did. Um, so, yeah, Good Branson gets this, just that horrific deal. 
And then all of a sudden, Philly announces that they're out on Goudreau. Huh? The place everyone thought he was going? The, the team who, back in, what was it, like January, said something about, like, Chuck Fletcher's got a blank check to hand out to free agents? And so everyone just, like, thought, well, this is a slam dunk. It looks like Goudreau wants to go home. That's been rumored for years. Philly's in a position where they badly need to sign. One of his best friends is playing in Philly already. They're out? Here's what I think happened. There's actually two theories that I've got. One I don't trust as much as the other. But again, with both of these, they're just theories. Seven times 12 gets, gets thrown out there by Cervelli. And then the next news we get is Philly's out. I think what happened is they took the Columbus offer and they said, eh, we'll think about it. And what they did was they shopped it to the other teams who were interested, one of whom being Philadelphia. At least Philadelphia and maybe other teams, maybe New Jersey, maybe if Boston, I wondered if Boston would maybe be in on him if they're worried that Pasternak's going to be a bitch to sign, that maybe they trade Pasternak and bring in Goudreau would make some sense. But anyway, you know, the Islanders, whichever teams were in on Goudreau, I wonder if he took that 7 times 12 number to all those teams and said, we'd like this. And they all said, fuck off. You know, Billy being in Moneyball, when Scott Boris calls him telling, telling Billy that Boston upped their offer on Johnny Damon. That's what I feel like, that's what I feel like Goudreau's agent did here. Possibly. So then, after, after the fact, they wheel back to Columbus and they say, you know what? We'll take your deal. We'll take that deal. Sure, we thought about it. We'll take that deal. And Columbus is sitting there saying, oh, well, this is awkward. We just got Good Branson done four times four. Uh, we can't give you seven times 12. <laughs> and they pissed off all the other suitors, so they were left with no choice but to take what Columbus had given them because Columbus was the only team left in the East who would give him, like that, you know, who was willing to negotiate with him. This is just a theory, but that makes sense. The only other thing that makes sense to me is if Columbus said, hey, we'll give you 7 times 12, and Goudreau said, the Goudreau camp said, well, hold on here. Rather than give me all that money, 
are you guys, could you guys, if you guys are in on Good Branson, let's say he knew they were in on Good Branson or about to sign up. Let's say he knew they were in on Good Branson for four years at $1.8 million a year. What if he said, you know what, like I really became great friends with Eric in Calgary. Could you guys kick him some more money? Could you guys take, say, 2.2 mil of that deal and give it to Eric? Because I really want him. Or maybe they were potentially in on him and they were only going to offer him 1.8 million. And he said, no, 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 let's just make sure we get Eric. Take 2.2 of my money and let's just make sure we get Eric. Why am I saying 2.2? It's 2.25. Sorry. Let's just make sure we get Eric. Because I really want him here too. That's the only thing that makes sense. Because here's the fact of the matter. We're going to find out in the coming days more about this. And my theory is probably wrong. Don't get, you know, don't think that I'm sitting here thinking I'm right. But we're probably going to hear stuff like he's got some family there or his wife has family there or for some reason Columbus is easy for the Goudreau family to visit for, you know, a million different reasons. Like, you know, I know people tweeted out after the fact it's like a seven-hour drive for them, but like a seven-hour drive is what, an hour flight, if that? Like a 45-minute flight? I think that's what about, but it'd be about a 45, 50-minute flight. Like, I know that, I know the whole drive thing, it doesn't seem like he's close to home, but saying to someone, you know, this is only a 45-minute flight, someone who's making close to $10 million a year, he can fly his family in and out anytime he wants. That's not, they're not driving. So, you know, to us civilians, your seven hour, your seven and a half hour drive away, to millionaires, you're forty five minutes away. But it's an interesting theory, isn't it? Because it it does. There's a lot of stuff here. Reading the tea leaves that kind of adds up to them overplaying their hand. And I don't want to say too much because it's not my source. This was not even sourced to me. I just had something relayed. Um, I have secondhand knowledge or I have been told secondhand that this wasn't as... This wasn't the breakup with the flames that is being let on. Like, I, I don't know, maybe the Flames aren't pissed about it, but I know there's some people who know what went on who are like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they're like, this fucking guy left Trey Living hanging for weeks on an offer and then wheeled back and basically said, hey, we'll stay if you break the bank for us. And there was no way Trey Living was going to be able to do that. Unless he, you know, organizational suicide. So, 
I don't know how much of this story is legitimately, hey, I want to play back east. I think I think there's some of that, but I also think some of it is good like like the person said, and again it's a loose source, it's and it's not my story to tell. But the one thing I will say is the thing that I saw was just ended with he was never signing here. So what does this mean for the Blue Jackets? Because I got a lot more thoughts on the Flames. What does it mean for the Blue Jackets? This is a Columbus Blue Jackets move. This is this is akin to when Parise and Suter signed with Minnesota. This is a let's fill some seats move. This is a let's be a playoff team move, which for and I Columbus ironically is always the team that I say this for. They're the team, they're one team that I understand building that way. And for the Blue Jackets, that's a US born marketable star who if they're keeping Patrick Line, that's going to be a fun combination to watch play together. Line and Goudreau playing on a line together, playing power play together. You get Goudreau setting up on the half wall, setting up Line for that one-timer, that's fun to watch if you're Columbus. And Goudreau can get you in the playoffs. He ain't going to lead you anywhere, but he can get you in the playoffs. And for Columbus, that's what you want. So to me, this is money well spent. This is the money that Columbus would have liked to have spent on Panarin, but he didn't want to stay. Now they're able to spend it on Johnny Goudreau. What it means for the Flames? Well, first of all, let's start off with, and I'm anyone who listens to me knows I am a Brad Trey Living fan. I think I say that every podcast. I don't know if this is on Trey Living or Flames ownership. Given the history of the Calgary Flames and the way they've operated long before Brad Trey Living ever showed up, I think this is on ownership. Too much smoke was around the Flames in 2020 after the bubble that Trey Living wanted to blow up this situation. He was ready to overhaul the roster. And Goudreau was one of the guys who was rumored to be going. And then all of a sudden, it went away and they signed Jacob Markstrom, who wasn't even an upgrade on what Cam Talbot was. And they paid more money for him. More years, more money. Whoops. It was lauded as this tremendous move. I am still to this day not sure why, even though Markstrom had a tremendous year playing for Daryl Sutter. Everybody has a good, tremendous year playing for Daryl Sutter. Uh, but yeah, Trey Living wanted to rebuild, and then all of a sudden he didn't. And then, and then the year with no fans, they don't make the playoffs. And he still doubles down again. Doesn't make any sense. You know, this when I say there's smoke, this isn't fourthperiod.com reporting that they might do something. This is Friedman. This is Drager. This is LeBron. 
This is Chris Johnston. This is Frank Cervelli. These guys, when they speak, they know what the fuck they're talking about. They're not speaking out their ass, at least most of the time. They know something's up. Friedman said on Monday, Jack Campbell likely signing with the Oilers. We'd be stunned if Jack Campbell didn't sign with the Oilers. You know what that meant? Jack Campbell was an Oiler already. He ain't saying that shit unless he knows. He ain't talking. And Friedman was one of the guys leading the parade. He wasn't talking about the flames blowing it up a few years ago unless he knew. And then all of a sudden it just went away. So my theory, and this one's more of a theory that I believe in. Although that one with Goudreau getting, you know, overplaying his hand definitely sounds like could be accurate. Uh, They... Trey Levy wanted to blow it up. Ownership hates the idea of rebuilding in Calgary. They're more worried about filling seats. And so he was forced to keep Johnny Goodrow. And probably in the back of his mind was thinking, okay, at least I'll trade him at the deadline. And this season might have been thinking going into it, okay, we'll, we'll suck. I don't see us getting any better. We didn't respond under Daryl Sutter last year. We'll go through the motions this season. We'll get to the trade deadline. And then finally, at least I can get something back for Goudreau and kickstart this. It didn't even have to be a rebuild. It just could have been a reset. I've said that for years on the Flames. They've got pieces. Now, now they have to, now they've lost Goudreau for nothing. And from reports, again, a lot of smoke on this, it sounds like Kachuk wants nothing to do with staying there long-term. He's using the Goudreau thing as an excuse. Excuse me if this is wrong, Flames fans. I've just never heard this. It could be, could be the fact of the matter. I have never heard that Kachuk and Goudreau are airtight buddies. I have never heard that, like, hey, these two are inseparable. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but, you know, and if Kachuk, if it's, if it's a, wow, we're getting worse without Johnny things, well, I don't want to be here. If that's the case, I, I just, I can't see him being that guy. And Andy Strickland is leaking anything on Matt Kachuk. I just think Matt Kachuk is hell-bent on leaving for St. Louis. And I think he's using the Goudreau thing as an excuse. That's my theory. I don't think this guy gives a shit one way or another. I just think he sees it as a convenient reason to say say that he wants out. So is he next? And we know the Flames ownership doesn't do rebuilds. St. Louis is a real good trade partner, if that's the case, because St. Louis has Tarasenko, who still wants out. $7.5 million. The money matches up pretty good with those two going for each other. Not exactly, but it matches up pretty well. 
Could the Flames get Jordan Cairo as well? That's the piece that I would be asking for if I'm Brad Trey Living. I would say, okay, we'll trade Kachuk. You got to give us Tarasenko and you got to give us Cairo. Tarasenko to make the money work. Now, if it's me, if it's me, I don't want any cap coming back, but I'm trying to operate the way that I know or that I'm thinking Flames ownership will want Trey Living to operate. I would push hard for Tarasenko and Kairou. I think he would probably, I think where the common ground would lie would be Tarasenko, neighbors, and a first. Maybe there's another prospect coming in that deal, but something along those lines of Tarasenko, neighbors, and a first. Neighbors is a Kachuk type. He ain't Kachuk. He's a nice player, and he's Calgary, well, Airdrie kid. And then a first, ugh, yeah, ugh, ugh. Like, you're not getting Robert Thomas, unless it's a one-for-one, maybe then. But even then, I don't know. Like, they're losing O'Reilly in a year. I don't know. Do the Flames... Do the Flames ask for O'Reilly? Do the Flames try? I, I, and obviously, there's other spots Matt Kachuk could go. But it just, to me, the most they'll get is from St. Louis because it's not just a one year, or it's likely not just a one year rental. That's going to be a long term extension. Shame on, shame on the Flames front office, though. The rest of the hockey world seen this coming for two years. And they let this little fucker just, they just bought into it. Again, whether it was Trey Living or not, whether it was Trey Living, ownership, I don't know. But he, he was never signing there. These rumors have been out there forever that he was leaving. The first chance he got. And what did he do? Did he go to Philly? No. But did he bail on Calgary? Yes. Are the Flames better off without him? I don't know. If it's me, I would just... Let's put it this way. 2023 draft, good time to be a bad team. But I don't think they can be bad. Like, even if Kachuk goes and Goudreau's gone, I don't think you're a bad team. You still got Lindholm. You still got Mangiapane. You still got Backlund as your second-line center. You're going to get our return for Kachuk, like I said, Tarasenko. You plug Tarasenko in with Lindholm on that top line, that's a pretty good combo. You've got cap space still that you can use. I know Kadri's out there. I'll get to that. I don't think that's happening for Calgary, but you never know. Um You know, trades can happen. You know, especially in a flat cap world, 
cap space can be weaponized pretty, pretty good. But 2023, if you're going to be bad, it's a good year to be bad. Talked about it the other night. That top three, whoo, sexy. Think Connor Bedard would be loved in Calgary? And hey, with the lottery rules, you don't have to be the worst team. But again, especially in the Pacific Division, I don't know. If I had to if I had to rank the Pacific today, I'd say Vegas one, Edmonton two, Vancouver three for me, and LA four. If if we're saying Calgary trades Kachuk and doesn't make a big splash in free agency with Kadri or via trade. That's probably somehow... I know someone said the other day, LA's winning the... Oh, yeah, that was on 32 Thoughts. LA's winning the Pacific. Book it. No, they're not. That might age very poorly because you never know in this league. But, (laughs) like, I just... We believe, like, let's look at this. L.A.'s goaltending, shaky. Kopitar, getting old. Drew Doughty, will he stay healthy? The rest of that blue line, super young. They signed Kevin Fiala. Congrats. Do you honestly think Kevin Fiala moves the needle that much? It was a team with a hot start and then flatlined. Yes, they pushed the Oilers in the playoffs. How many teams do we see that do that that then become nothing after the fact? Like, it just it happens all the freaking time. The media, though, they get mesmerized by the plucky, hardworking team and overrate them badly. All right, moving on. Ottawa signed Giroux, combined with the Talbot trade, the Debrinket trade. They moved out Connor Brown, but I'm guessing he was going to bail anyway after last season or after next season. It's a good offseason for the Sens. Uh, next move could be Chikrin, but it sounded today like those talks have gone quiet. By the way, what I'm doing now, I'm going to speed through some of this to get to the others. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, I don't think they're a playoff team now, but they're moving toward I'd say they're a, com- they're, they're a competitive team. They're a playoff contender, but I don't think they're making the playoffs. Like, who are you knocking out of that division? You got Tampa, you got Florida, you got Toronto, you got Boston. Maybe Boston, but it sounds like that's the happiest team ever to have their coach gone. With Bergeron now coming back, Krejci coming back. Like, Boston sounds like, you know, Boston's going to be good. Boston's going to be good. Uh, Ottawa's not better than Boston. And they're definitely not better than the other three teams. So do you maybe get a wild card spot? Well, let's look at the let's look at the Metro. And you've got Carolina and you've got 
the Rangers, and you've got the Penguins, who still got a lot of their guys intact. And you got Washington, who just upgraded their goaltending. And you've got the Islanders, who will be back. So, nope. You're not getting one of those wildcard spots. Plus, maybe, maybe New Jersey gets better goaltending this year. But Ottawa's not better than it. Ottawa's not, never say never, but Ottawa's not making the playoffs. Another team that I liked who just did some subtle tweaking, Eric Comrie going to the Sabres, like that. Like that for, for Buffalo. Buffalo's on the rise. I, I, it's a good thing that people are just ignoring Buffalo right now. Because then you're able to just put the pieces in place. And even though they've lost Jack Eichel, I think they've got a lot of... I think the way they're building it with so much size and speed, kind of like kind of like Colorado. Now, you don't have a Nathan McKinnon. But you got so much size and speed on that roster. I think they're going to be a bitch to play against in a couple years. You know, another team from that division that I like, same kind of thing as Ottawa, thought they had a better day than Ottawa, Detroit. That they've had the best offseason of any team so far. Huso, big upgrading goal. Perron, awesome reader, leadership. Sherratt, I'm not a huge Sherratt guy, and they overpaid for him, but great fit. You know, that's Maritz Sider's D partner now. That's a perfect fit. Andrew Kopp, I said this to one of my close friends today. I said, I view him as Zach Hyman with more speed. That's not to say that he'll put up the same numbers that Zach Hyman does, but I see, like, that's... I think Andrew Kopp, even though that's a big number, that's a big pill to swallow, I think Andrew Kopp's a really good sign. You can move him up and down the lineup. He seems seems to fit with anyone. Plus, going home, I like that. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of what Steve Eisenman's building there. Too much money on all those guys, really. But I think Huso and Kopp can live up to their deals. Sherratt, yeah, you had to probably pay about... I don't know if it's a bad overpayment. People sure got woke up to Ben Sherratt in the playoffs, though, didn't they? Ben Sherratt all last season before the deadline. Oh, yeah. Teams are going to line up and pay big time for this guy. And then they see Ben Sherratt on another team not make a dent. And it's, eh, maybe Ben Sherratt's not the Norris Trophy winner we all made him out to be. <laughs> You didn't even hear anything about teams wanting Sherrod going into the de- or going into free agency. But I like him for Detroit. And yeah, it's a it's a big pill to swallow, but again, little like Perron. Like Perron's deal is he's overpaid by at least a mil, but it's only 2 years and he's brought in for his leadership. And he can still score, but his leadership is the big thing. Man, but I I just think Detroit, you get all those you get all those veteran additions to your team, and then couple that with what they've built. Like 
I know I'm way higher on Marco Casper than most, but I I think he's the number one center down the road. Larkin's still young enough to be a great 2C with what they're building. Uh, like, he's a great 2C now, but with, like, you know, you've got to still be around when you're done the rebuild and when you're ready to win. I think Larkin will still be around when they're ready to win. Uh, Lucas Raymond, obviously, this year looks like he's going to be an elite winger in this league. Moritz Sider is obviously one of the best young defensemen in the league. Uh, Simon Edvidson's about to be that guy as well. I really believe that. So there's your pillars on the blue line. Uh, Sebastian Kosa didn't have a good season, but I still think he's the tendy of the future. Like It is starting to look impressive what Stevie is building there. I just sounded like Pierre Maguire breaking down every team when they make a draft pick where he just lists off all their prospects and say, it's going to be something what they're building down there. Yeah, I know, but I actually mean this with Detroit. I'm not saying this about every team like Pierre does. And I'm kind of skipping all over the place here. Kane's added Brent Burns, and they added Max Pacioretty for pretty literally nothing. I'm fine with both. <laughs> the thing that I wondered, I like I saw Frank Cervelli say, quote, the Canes get their difference maker up front when they got Patcher ready. Like, what fucking difference is Patcher ready making? Like, nice player, and that's all he is. Makes too much money. He's now what, 33? He's never been a huge needle mover. <laughs> he's he's like the Ben Sherrod of today. Like, like, yeah, Ben Schrott, he's putting the Panthers over in the playoffs. Or he's making their blue line slightly better. One of the two. Like, <laughs> like they lost Trocek and D'Angelo. Or they got rid of D'Angelo, but they lost Trocek. And they added Burns and Pacioretty. Like, are you that much better? Like, I'm a huge fan of the way Carolina's built. But I'm getting a little impatient with my man Eric Tulski here and saying, like, when are you guys going to take a swing to take your team to the next level? When's that coming? I don't think it needs to be on the blue line. I think it needs to be up front. Am I saying they should have went and got Johnny Goudreau? No. No, they should have went and got Jack Eichel. It was dumb that they weren't serious about Jack Eichel because there's your franchise center moves Aho back to the two-hole. Like, you are set. They had the cap flexibility to do that. They had the assets to do that. They didn't do it. And it's like, I, I, as well as you guys are great as, of a job as you guys are doing there, why are you happy with mediocrity? And it's not even a case where, you know, they've built to just be a playoff team. I'm sure, I'm sure that Tom Dundon's fine with that. But, like, they're in perfect position to become a very serious contender. And it's just like they're going, yeah, we're good. We're good. We don't have to do that. That seems extreme. 
And I'll never forget the one episode of King of the Hill. I was never a big King of the Hill guy. But one line that's never gone out of my mind is, <laughs> is when Bobby was playing soccer and the coach yells, slow down, we've already got the tie. Like, <laughs> that's what it feels like, The how the Canes are operating. Don't understand it. Malkin re-signed in Pittsburgh last night. Four years is too much, but it's a fair AAV, and he's a legend there. It's tough to let that guy walk out the door, even for, for an office that wasn't there in the glory days. Um, I should have... Oh, man. See, this is... I fucked up my notes. I should have said this after Pacioretty. But I put the Malkin thing in there, and it was right in between where Pacioretty should have led into the Golden Knights thing. Some media people were finally noticing that the Golden Knights are just a circus. Like, weird. When they were making the playoffs, they were progressive. But now they're poorly run. If only someone with a hockey-based podcast who normally does all his shows by himself in his living room while having the TV on mute as a all-star baseball all-star game is replayed on YouTube from I think 2003 maybe 04 it's in Houston looks like Mark Mulder's the start they're just an- announcing the lineups right now Alfonso Soriano was a Texas Ranger so it's at least yeah that's got to be 2004 cuz Randy Johnson was still at the Diamondbacks says it's in Houston it says on the field this one counts cuz it was 2 years after the after the debacle in Milwaukee where <laughs> where they had the game tied Edgar Antaria starting shortstop for the NL St. Louis Cardinal looks like Albert Pujols right behind him my man fat albert uh, where was I? But yeah, like this Vegas thing, it's, it, it's been, it's been right there, broad daylight. Nobody's bothered to notice till now. And people, you know, something got tweeted out today where it's like, look at what they lost for Max Patcher. They got nothing for Nick Suzuki and your second-round pick and Thomas Tatar. Oh, it's worse than that. Because if you forgot, they traded a first, second, and a third for Thomas Tatar. So they got Tatar for three assets. Added Nick Suzuki and a second and got literally nothing. Literally nothing. Man, it wouldn't suck to have those assets to have in your system right now and have it in your organization in general. Wouldn't suck. I have heard cheap talent in the NHL is an asset. Uh, but again, I'll say this. They, they're healthy this season. They're winning the Pacific. 
It's them or Edmonton the way it stands right now. I always have I, I always have a soft soft spot for Vancouver. The other thing I'll say for Vancouver, Bruce Boudreau, he doesn't often lose divisions. Look at his history. He you know, the Canucks were a great team once he took over last year. Now they're going to be worse cuz they're going to I can't imagine they're going to go into the season with JT Miller. So they will be worse on paper. But you got Thatcher Demko in net. You got Bruce Boudreau as one of the best regular season coaches of all time behind the bench. Don't count them out either. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on Vancouver. By the way, I didn't mind the Mikheyev signing. Probably a little too much money, but at the same time, he's one of those guys you can move up and down your lineup. Like Andrew Kopp, big fan of those type of players. Big fan. Oh, speaking of Mikhaev. Speaking of Mikhaev, his former team. Here we go. So they get Samsonov. Great signing. Well worth the risk. And I still haven't addressed the Matt Murray trade yet. Honestly. Like I, I like the move for Murray because it, it was better than any other bigger option they had. It's less money than Camper and Campbell. It's only two years versus five. It's under five mil, which both Campbell and Camper got. Plus, they get a third-round pick. And Murray was good last season after his demotion. Regular season, he was, in those last, what, 20 games, I think it was, he was as good as Darcy Camper. But here's the big thing. Here's the big thing for me. The Leafs brass get shit on for being too hung up on value, not that they're making reckless decisions. So do you really think that all of a sudden they decided to go reckless here? Like, come on. I get it. Matt Murray has been shit on for a while. But it seems like people are just horny for the narratives here more than actually looking at the move itself. The Leafs have more flexibility at the position than the Oilers do. They got a guy who, when he's on, he's great. And really, I Matt Murray, when he's on, he's a game stealer. Like, he is, reminds me a ton, always has reminded me a ton of Corey Crawford, and I was a big Corey Crawford fan. But I just, do, do we really not think that Kyle Dubas is making anything other than another calculated decision? That's all this guy does. The one reckless hockey-type move that he made was the Nick Foligno trade. And everybody said, wow, that's wonderful. Where did it get him? Nothing. Why? Because Nick Foligno was last year's Ben Sherratt. And this year with Ben Sherratt, I kept saying, even though I didn't have a podcast or wasn't doing a podcast at the time, I kept saying, it's just this year's Nick Foligno. Why is this league so stupid to fall for this year after year? And I'm about to get to the Oilers, 
But I think I heard Jeff O'Neill ask two separate times today, if Campbell and or Murray were upgrades for their new teams, and he starts talking about how neither guy is elite. Like, he just goes right into, yeah, neither of these guys are elite guys. Right. Like, you weren't asked if either guy was winning the Vezina, Jeffrey. It's like shitting on the wings for signing David Perron. Well, he's not Connor McDavid. Like, like what? What? The Oilers signed Brett Kulak, Jeff. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah. See, do you think he's Kale McCarr? Like, he's not Kale McCarr. Right. We get that. Like, understand what's going on here, Jeff. Like, these teams are trying to get better. Quit expecting them to just blindly add Hall of Famers. And that is, and it's not just Jeff O'Neill, but that that take is so played out. It is so played out. 20 years ago, I'll never forget when Doug Waite was traded. And someone said, well, the Oilers, he wasn't leading the Oilers anywhere, so they were better off to get rid of him. What? And don't get me wrong, they got they traded him for financial reasons. But that was this guy's take. Like, yeah, no, no, even if it wasn't financial. Yeah, he wasn't leading them anywhere, so they needed to get rid of him. Like, a, a first-line center? You need to trade a first-line center in his prime because the rest of his team is shitty? And that's the types of opinions these people have. It's like, wow, this... Is, the team needs to upgrade the goaltender. They should go get Vasilevsky. You need to get a Shesterkin. Guess what? You're not finding these guys. You don't expect people to find McDavid and Matthews. So why the fuck are we expecting them to sign to find Hall of Fame goaltenders? Like, fuck. <laughs> it's just such a terrible thing. Oh, TSN's panel was terrible today. There's one point I looked up there and I said, man... I have not seen much work that Cheryl Pounder's done. And yet Cheryl Pounder, and I, this sounds so woke of me, and it is so not meant to be woke. I'm not, I don't want to be a woke person. They're awful. They're awful people. <laughs> but Cheryl Pounder's up there. She's far and away the best analyst they've got. Who's hiring these people? God. Like, if we're going to make, <laughs> like, oh, the, the diversity hires drive me up the wall and not because I don't want diversity. I'm all for it. But can we just hire the best people rather than just hiring someone to fill a quota? Like, it's just, it's so, and I'm not going to name names because that'll just get me into trouble. But, like, it's not the people who are hiring for diversity. It's just the people doing the hiring. Because Cheryl Pounder, finally, someone who's, like, a diverse hire, who's great. Thank God. So she's not just a prop up there. She's actually great at the job. Meanwhile, I got Dave Poulin up there. Like, just terrible. Just absolutely terrible. Nice guy. I'm sure he's a great dude. 
but he's awful. Craig Button up there, he's awful. Craig Button's been awful for years. Who's the guy that Sportsnet got for the draft? Um, oh, Jason. Um, oh, what's his last name? Why am I blanking on it now as I'm recording? <sighs> Jason. Why am I blanking on his last name? Bakula? Bakula. That's it. Jason Bakula. So good. So, so good. He had he was tremendous on the draft coverage. And he is he was tremendous when I watched Sportsnet today. And then they've got Pierre Maguire. Like, what are you doing? Pierre was bad before. Everyone couldn't stand him before. Why are you hiring him? I'm not saying, like, jeez. I'm sure Pierre is salted. In fact, I've heard that many times from people who know him, that I know, that Pierre is one of the best people in the sport. That's great. But I'm one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Should, should I get hired? Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, jeez. <laughs> O'Neal, O'Neal, Poulin, Button, they're all up on that panel with Cheryl Pounder. They all, they all just absolutely throttle her in terms of broadcasting experience. Like, it's not remotely close. Pounder is brand new at this. They're all at least a decade into their careers. And she's better than all of them, except for O-Dog Shtick is different, you know, obviously. O-Dog shouldn't be on that panel, more so because O-Dog's a great talent. He just shouldn't be in that spot. That's a bad spot for O-Dog. But man, Button and Poulin, that's embarrassing, And it's not embarrassing because she's a woman. It's embarrassing because she just started doing this. And she's owning you fucks. (laughs) (sighs) Exhausted. What are you tweeting now, Friedman? Wow. As I'm recording, Andre Palat, five times six mil in New Jersey. Late night as I'm recording. It's a good signing for Jersey. That's going to not be a contract that'll age well. But that's a good signing for Jersey. Got to send it to all the boys. I got to I got to be the insider with all my friends. I got to get the jump. Get the jump. <sighs> there we go. All right. All right, last piece of business tonight. On to the, we're 50 minutes in, on to the Oilers. Now, of course, I have to refresh my screen. I have to not wake up my pup because he's sleeping beside me. He's tired. A lot of puppy business today. A lot of puppy business going on outside in the backyard. He had to carry the, the one toy to the other side of the yard and then shake it. And then run back to the other side of the yard. A lot of puppy business. It was a busy day. 
busy day. Um, oh, well, before I get to the Oilers, I did... Oh, shit. <laughs> I did want to hit on... Geez, my notes are terrible. I did want to talk about the moves still to watch. Now, that gets, you know, one of those. I think I say it right here. Yeah, Palat. This is what I put in my notes. Palat. I think he's a bit overrated playing on the Lightning, but at the same time, believe he can be a good addition for someone. Not sure who, though. Obviously, that's now no one. It's New Jersey. Um, yeah, that's an overpay. Five times six. That's an overpay. But Jersey's kind of one of those teams like, me. Eh, you kind of got to do something. What they really needed to do was something. And it's, I said this the other night. And I still stand by it. For the Oilers and Leafs, in my opinion, you should have kept the flexibility and gone after a Vanacek in goal and see how that plays out. The Leafs did somewhat with Samsonov. But those Eric Comrie is another guy that comes to mind. See how those guys work. On the cheap, if they don't work, then address it at the deadline. Like, that's what I would do if I am a team up against the cap, where if I'm New Jersey and, you know, I'm stuck in this, you know, I'm stuck in the metro. I'm like, you know, I'm so far down in the metro and and I just, I need a team who can fill some seats and get some playoff gates. That's the team who should be paying big for Darcy Camper or Jack Campbell or trading for Matt Murray. So it's kind of ass backwards in the NHL. But, you know, they, they went with Vanacek. We'll see how it works. If it works for them, awesome. They've, they've addressed their problem. I can't see Vanacek working. You know, I think Washington knows them well. Washington, the Caps, last I checked, pretty well-run organization. Thinking they would have kept the guy. Thinking they would have rather kept the guy and uh, not signed Darcy Camper for 5 times 5. Well, 5 times 5.25. To be exact. Um, Okay, so who's left? Like, obviously, Codry's the big one left. Um, I'm looking at the Avs, and I think he's going back. Like, I thought for sure he was gone, and maybe they will. Just, they'll just let him walk because that's their, that's their style. I think they understand that there's not many elite years left, if any, with Codry. But I think JT Comfer's $3.5 million is movable. And there would definitely be a market for Sam Gerrard's five mil. So there's 8.5 million right there to go with 3.9. Now they do have some spots to fill. So let's just say, you know, Kadri would take Confer spot for what Cap Friendly had up. Kadri would take Confer spot. And then you'd need a replacement for Gerrard. But it would just be a bottom pair guy. Maybe you bring back Ryan Murray for the bottom pair. Maybe you make a trade. You know, they, they're shrewd like that. But Colorado can, in my opinion, pretty easily make it work. I'm not sure what Kadri's getting. I would assume from Colorado, he can't get eight years now. So I would assume from Colorado, it's, it would be seven times eight. 
That's my guess. That seems to be what elite second-line centers get. But does he get paid for the career year? Like, I don't know. I have a tough time gauging what Kadri's going to make on the open market here. I thought for sure Goudreau was getting the Panarin deal. And then all of a sudden he wasn't from anyone. Yeah, but I, I, I know Calgary's been mentioned. There's not a lot of teams that can fit in a major salary like Cadre's. I guess Seattle could if you want to really insulate Beneers and Wright. And you could move McCann to the wing and kind of keep him as insurance or maybe use one of Wright or Beneers on the wing to start as a way to ease them into the league. That's possible. But there's not a lot of options out there. I think, you know, if Colorado wants to move Girard, Byram proved in the playoffs he is fine in that second pair role. He is more, that top four is set. It's Taves, it's McCarr, it's Byram, it's Manson. Let's go. Like, they got Manson re-signed. Avs, no surprise. Chris McFarland is killing it again. But I think I think that's where Kadri ends up. Calgary can do it. I'm trying to think on the spot as to who else might have serious cap space. Now, other teams could create cap space, obviously. Um, but I don't know. Like, now that Jersey signed Palat, Jersey could do it, but they don't have a big need. So here's the funny thing about Jersey. Oh, Jersey actually has way They already got Palat factored in. Projected cap space, $17.4 million. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jersey's got a lot of cap space still. So Jersey could do it. Here's the thing. They see Jack Hughes as a center, apparently. I would sign Kadri. Like, I don't know if I would, but because, again, I think he's just going to have negative value, and especially for a team like Jersey. I don't think I would do this, but I, I could see Jersey doing this. Like, if, if you want to utilize Jack Hughes at, at the best he can be, you put him on the wing and you bring in Kadri. That's what I would do. Blue line, you got a year left of Severson, year left of Graves, Siegenhalter, Black. They still got to sign Vanacek. That's right, too. But yeah, I, I, I would say they're a possibility. They're a possibility for Kadri. It's one of the few teams. Now. Would you move would you move big things to fit Kadri in? Rangers, they got Trocheck, so I think they're fine. Well, yeah, no, I think they're fine. Would Philly like they're you know, they they would still have to move out Van Riemsdijk or maybe Provorov or maybe both. <laughs> 
Roger Clemens is getting lit up in this All-Star game. Wow. Not paying too much attention, but Man Ram just hit a home run off him. And it looked like Pudge Rodriguez got a Oh, yeah, Pudge scored on the home run. Who let off? I'm blanking on who let off, but someone else got a hit on or what might have been a home run off him right away. Old Roger Clemens. This is pre this is pre-Belco stuff coming out. Here's Roger versus Afrod. Fun fact, they were never teammates until 2007. Old Afrod and Roger. You think of them both as Yankees. But they were never teammates until one season, 2007. I don't know, yeah. I I, I don't think there's a big market for Kadri. Unless he wants to go to bad teams. Jersey. Jersey's a bad team. What has Detroit got left for Caspace? Detroit still has $11 million. But Detroit won't do that because they got Larkin assigned to an extension. And maybe Bertuzzi. Maybe Tyler Bertuzzi. But then you also, you know... You got two years. Eventually, you know, you you got to keep in mind, Sider's getting a huge deal. We already know that. Lucas Raymond's going to get a huge deal. You got to keep that in mind. You already spent big today on a lot of different players. You got to keep that powder dry, so to speak. So I don't think, I don't think Detroit would do it. Could Dallas move out some stuff? Now I'm just thinking while I'm doing the podcast, this is making for a terrible show. I apologize. This is, but this has become fascinating for me. Dallas has 11 mil. Why would you bring back Klingberg? Assume that Sagan's basically done at this point, even though he's got so many years left. They've got three years left of Sagan and Ben. Oh, over 19 mil. Oh. At least Ben can be somewhat useful. And it's not Tyler Sagan's fault. He's playing. He's clearly beat to fuck. But holy man, Mason Marshman contract. Yeah, I like that today, I guess. It was fine. It, it, it's He's risky. You know, um, all respect to his old man. I loved his old man as a player and. Obviously, that's that's fresh in everyone's minds what happened to Brian. But uh, Mason, you know, I knew he was getting this type of deal. We'll see. I hope for his, like, I hope he lives up to it, if not exceeds it. Man, if Dallas, if Dallas could create some room, they would be a serious contender for Kadri. Could you get rid of Fax's 
And I'm thinking not so much for bringing back Klingberg, but 11 mil right at the moment. There's no... Oh, Ottinger, they still got to re-sign Ottinger, but, and they still got to re-sign Robertson. Yeah, okay. Maybe Dallas doesn't have the space that I was thinking they did. All right, I got to move off this. Kadri going back to Ottawa. Next, or going back to Ottawa, going back to Colorado. Next, finally. Oh, look, it's Klingberg. Let me pull up Dallas's cap-friendly page and hunt for a spot for him for 20 minutes. Isn't that riveting? Seattle, next. <laughs> Seattle or Dallas for Klingberg, next. JT Miller, will he get traded? He still hasn't been traded. Don't forget, Friedman reported the Islanders at the draft. After the fact, he said something along the lines of letting that one play out. So he didn't retract it. He just said he was told by the source, just wait on it and just see where it goes. So Friedman, again, he's not going to say something. He's not going to sensationalize anything. Something was obviously very close with the Islanders and Canucks. Something still probably gets done. I don't even know what you ask for. Like, chances are Canucks fans are going to be very, very pissed at what they get back for JT Miller. He's got one year left. He's got one year left. That should be someone who's really sought after. If the Avs do lose Kadri, I could see that being, you know what? Just thinking out loud. Yeah, but if, yeah, no, never mind. I was going to say Gerard for Miller with maybe a first thrown in there. I don't even know what the Avs got for picks. But no, that doesn't make sense because, man, then your left side of your blue line is tiny. And I'm not the guy that says undersized guys can't play, but I also don't want a blue line who averages five foot ten in height. Um, although Tyler Myers then bumps that up to an even six feet, so you're fine. Uh, but yeah, I JT Miller will have value, but I don't think you'll have the value that Canucks fans. Maybe maybe they don't have high expectations, but to me, you see a guy who's your leading scorer in a season and he had 99, 100 points, something like that, you, you expect to get the world for him if you're trading him, but he's only got one year left, and the truth of the matter is that was a career year. That's not who he is. Like Even if that is who he is, no team can trade for him, assuming that's who he is. But again, that's kind of one where I'm not sure where he'll go. Would Jim Rutherford trade with his former team? Pittsburgh native take one more shot at things with Malkin back and Sid and JT Miller. We know he, you know, obviously he can play the wing. Doesn't need to play center. Just thinking out loud. And again, I, I asked, will the Flames now move Kachuk? I asked that earlier. All right, the Oilers. This is taking way too long. Let's go back 24 hours. Kane deal gets broken 24 hours when I was recording this, or from when I'm recording this. Uh, the Kane news broke late Tuesday night. 
I don't love it like most, but don't confuse that with some sort of big issue with it. It's just that I'm not going to... Whoa, Clemens gave up another bomb. Fonzie Soriano, his former teammate in New York. Oh, my God. Fonzie just crushed that one. Clemens is getting humiliated in front of his hometown crowd. Drove in Jeter, drove in Giambi, all former Roger Clemens teammates, all teams who saw and possibly helped him stick that needle in his ass. Or was he a clear cream guy? I can't remember. Gotta love the steroid era. Three run shot for Fonzie. Joe Torrey, huge smile on his face. Ha! <laughs> you know that never happened. The typical scowl. Typical scowl that he always had on his face. Joe Torrey. What a guy. Mark Mulder now up to bat. Who'd have thunk? Mark Mulder's career was basically done two years after starting in the All-Star game in 04. All right. Um, back to the podcast. Hey, Clemens struck him out. Or did he give up another bomb? I don't know. Can't keep up. Oh, no, he didn't strike him out. He's still up on the mound struggling as he's as the AL has batted around in the 2004 All-Star game in the first inning. Okay, the Kane deal, yeah. Oh, struck him out, and he's out of the inning. That a boy, Roiger. Like, four years with his baggage, that's what's scary to me. The number, the AAV... It's cool. That part's cool. The AAV scares me. So that's... But I'm still excited as an Oilers fan. You get Evander Kane coming back. That's... You know, if he's on his best behavior, four years, again, that's scary. But if he's on his best behavior... You're getting a stud not too late into his 30s, although I'm cognizant he's already 30, what, 31, 32? But their window's now open. You know, I think it's, I think it's an easy buyout after three years, so if you want to look at it that way, it's really a three-year deal. Uh, I hate the numbers on Jack Campbell, but in fairness to Ken Holland, there weren't many other options. Like, if Holland had gone cheap like I would have, people would have crucified him. Like, for me, I'd have waited things out had he done that, and likely, you know, likely he gets Ilya Samsonov if he just lets it play out. I'm not criticizing Holland for that. That's just what happened. I think had he let things play out or Jack Campbell had said no and Kemper was out, I think then he would have been forced to let things play out. Samsonov would have popped available. He might have even traded for Samsonov rather than letting Washington not qualify him. Um, but... <sighs> You understand the desperation to get that spot filled. And it's not just the fan base you need to appease. It's the room. 
Like, you want to make sure players are happy. And I just hope, like, hell, they know what they're doing with Campbell because there is little evidence suggesting he is worth that contract. But then they got Kulak done. Amazing. Like, looked like he was gone. And the teams, late last night, Friedman puts out a blog. I think it was right before the Kane news broke. The three teams that Friedman listed as being in on him were Carolina, Colorado, Montreal. Tulski, McFarland, and Gordon. Three very smart organizations. Four times 2.75 is very much so worth it for Kulak. And if slash when Broberg is ready to get more minutes, 2.75 is an okay number to have on your third pair. And he can play the right side. Like, I am just a massive Brett Kulak fan. And and I wasn't. I hated what they paid for him at the trade deadline. I'm all about get value, get value, get value. Ken Holland does not operate that way. Ken Holland is get the player, get the player, get the player. Who cares what the price is? I want this player. Let's just get the player. (laughs) Drives me nuts. But, you know, the price he paid for him at the deadline, now that he's got him locked up, and he's got, in my opinion, he's got a top four defenseman on a bargain deal, I I still can't believe that they've got him four years and under three mil. Like, I, I really believe, I believe right now Brett Kulak is a better defenseman than Duncan Keith was this season. And Duncan Keith was, was fine on your second pair. Brett Kulak's an upgrade on that second pair, and I think he fits perfect with, uh, with Evan Bouchard. Very, very possible that early on next season, Bouchard is on the top pair with Nurse, and Kulak and CeCe become the shutdown pair. Watch for that. Because Kulak and CeCe down the stretch in, in the one game in L.A. in the playoffs, they are great together. And for, I don't know. We'll see how Darnell Nurse bounces back. Because I am still a massive believer in Darnell Nurse becoming an elite defender. I don't give a shit at 9.25. I do not give a shit about the offensive numbers with Nurse. Do not give a shit. I care about if he's continually working on his puck moving ability and he's continually or if he's committed to the craft of defending because he should be one of the best defenders in the league. He should be a total eraser with all the talent that he has. Oh, Sosa's bat broke on that hit. Check it for Cork. Vlad Guerrero Sr. couldn't make the catch. In to score is Albert Pools. Scott Rowland moves up to second. Sammy Sosa, we know he doesn't juice. He gets the NL on the board. Love the Brett Kulak signing. Absolute. Fits perfect. Perfect. Then, of course, you had the Connor Brown stuff. 
that was that was weird. Cause start of the day, it's sounding like Connor Brown is going to be an Edmonton Oiler. This deal's on the verge of happening. It's just a matter of making the trade call. And then it's well, the Oilers got a you know Ottawa wants picks and the Oilers got to get picks, so they're going to move out Fogle and Pulleyarvi to get Connor Brown. At that point, I'm thinking to myself, you're trading two wingers who you could maybe make an argument for both guys being a more valuable winger than Connor Brown. Don't confuse that with better. They're obviously they're neither guy is more offensively talented, but just overall players. You could argue that they're more valuable players than Connor Brown. You're going to trade both of them out to get this guy. Are you fucking kidding me? And then some confusion happened in the Oilers' Twitter world where people confused, no, 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 the Oilers aren't going to trade Fogle and Pogliarvi to Ottawa. They confused that with they aren't going to trade Fogle and Pogliarvi. No, no. No, no, they're going to trade those two for picks and then flip the picks to Ottawa. How this was lost on people, I am not sure, but it was. Fogel going for Connor Brown? Cool. Cool. Fogel and Pugliarvi going for Connor Brown? Even Pugliarvi going for Connor Brown one for one is stupid. But if they were to get Connor Brown signed to an extension that was reasonable, then I would at least go, okay, they shipped out the guy who was for the guy. They shipped out a guy who was difficult to play with, but had great analytics for a guy who's much easier to play with and has not as good analytics. More of the offensive star than the overall player. So I hated that, but then all of a sudden, Connor Brown traded to Washington. And Pulley is, once again, given a state of execution, I guess. So, we'll see. It's like, it's like the Oilers are just about to do something stupid with Pulley and then something gets in the way. I still think, I hate to say it, but I still think what's going to happen is they're going to essentially give Pulley away in my opinion, they are going to give him away, essentially, to bring in Dylan Strom. That's how I see this shaking out. I think, and here is my belief on Dylan Strom. It's not because the Oilers' Twitter world wants him. It's not because of that. Are you noticing the trend yet with Ken Holland in the last two off seasons? 
Zach Hyman, close with Connor McDavid. Darnell Nurse gets paid the world, close with Connor McDavid. Cody Cece, close with Connor McDavid. Warren Fogle, from what I've heard, he's not close with Connor McDavid, but they trained together, if that's right. Jack Campbell, close with Zach Hyman. Connor Brown, close with Connor McDavid. Dylan Strom, close with Connor McDavid. I'm not saying these guys aren't fits, and I'm not saying this is the only reason why these players are being brought in. But they're doing everything they can to keep the captain happy and to build a room, to build a very... I don't think it's just about keeping Connor happy. I think it's about building one of the closest, tightest-knit groups they can. I don't know what to make about Kane because from what Stoff was talking about today, all the Oilers players said they wanted Kane back in their exit interviews. Yeah, does that mean he's a great guy or is that just because he's that good of a player? I would lean towards the latter, but again, it's tough to get a read on Kane if he's maybe turned a corner and is an awesome teammate. But a lot of decisions are being made. Oh, another one. Tyson Berry isn't going to go anywhere. Tyson Berry is close with Connor McDavid. And that's the one that really, like, kind of puts a lot of stock into this theory because there is no reason to keep Tyson Berry. And yet they're keeping Tyson Berry. He's got positive trade value. He's making far too much money to play on your third pair. He's more of a liability out there than an asset. There is no reason to keep Tyson Berry on your third pair, and yet they seem hell-bent on keeping Tyson Berry on their third pair. Close with Connor McDavid. From everything you hear, Tyson Berry is beloved in that room. So... So, yeah, so I think, and again, that's not the only reason I think they would have been after Connor Brown. I think they were after Connor Brown because they thought, we put Connor Brown with Connor and Evander, he'll get 30 to 40 goals next season. And I, I believe that too. I think I don't like Dylan Strom as much as Connor Brown. Here's one thing I hated when the Connor Brown stuff was going on. One thing I absolutely hated, but again, it goes back to, I know why this was, is because nobody likes this guy, whereas, again, Connor Brown's tight with Connor McDavid. Max Domi got a year and three mil from Chicago. How the fuck can you justify paying an asset for Connor Brown when a better hockey player, and he is, Max Domi, without a doubt, is a better hockey player than Connor Brown. How do you justify not just paying a year and three mil to Max Domi and say, Max, come here, you're only getting one year anyway, come here, run up your numbers and take off. 
Cool? Cool. And he's the one guy, the one guy, who would be like, Edmonton, the spotlight? Fucking sweet, man. I'm there. I love the spotlight. No, no, no. We don't want to do that. We'll pay two seconds for Connor Brown, though. We'll give up two of our most valuable... Well, not two of our most valuable wingers, but two valuable wingers for Connor Brown. What are you doing? Holland's had a lot of... As much as I'm softening my stance on Ken Holland, mostly thanks to his son being awesome, um... As much as I've softened my stance on him being the worst, he's had a lot of things happen that have saved him from making horrendous decisions. You know, I think we would have got 2021 Jacob Markstrom here in 2021 and 2022 had he signed with the Oilers a.k.a. 902 save percentage, and we'd be saying, oh, my God, how do we get out from this five years left at five mil a year? Well, the exact same deal as Jack Campbell just signed. (laughs) How do we get out from under this with Jacob Markstrom? This is horrible. Calgary saved Ken Holland from himself. But end of the day, this is an excellent roster. Excellent. The big question is going to be what Jack Campbell is going to give them. If Jack Campbell is a 9-12 to 9-15 goaltender, just consistent in goal, they're going to be good. Just consistent in goal. By the way, Holland said he thinks something like, I think he said a 52-30 split. No, 46-36, minimum. Especially with Jack Campbell. Do you not know this guy's history? 46 for Campbell, 36 for Skinner. Simple. Very simple. We'll see if the Oilers got more moves. The Oilers are going to make more moves. I just don't know why. Dreger tweeted out at one point today that the Oilers are far from done, which doesn't mean that they have to do things now. They still need... I think... This is what I think. I think Pulley is going to be dumped. I think Fogel is going to be dumped still. I would guess that frees up. What could they sign Pulley for? Two mil for one year? Maybe it's more, but let's just say that and, you know, let's say, well, no, I don't want to say that. (laughs) I don't want to go over the number. I just want to go minimum, conservative. They've still got Yamamoto and McLeod to sign. 
Ah, I would lock up McLeod. If you've got a chance to lock him up now, I would do it. It does not sound like they're going to do that. Sounds like they're going to give him a one-year deal. I would heavily consider giving him something like four years, three million. I I would I would heavily consider that, but I you know you could make the same argument for Yamamoto. I think Yamamoto is deserving of three years, three years times three, three years times three and a half, something like that. Which is again, I can't understand why they're keeping Barry. That's four point five million. I think cap friendly cap friendly showing them as one point three million cap space. I think that's assuming yes, injured reserve, but that's not LTIR. But it's got injured reserve, Clefbaum, Smith. It's got them on there, so I guess it is probably factoring in the six point three mil that those two occupy onto their total cap hit. So you assume that's cap space. But to max out that cap space, you got to be right tight to the cap before the season begins. It's going to be nice next season when uh, that over 2 mil in uh, buyout and retained salary is gone. <laughs> be nice to have an extra $2 million right now. Well, if we're going that far, it'd be nice to have the extra $4 million that you'd have if James Neal wasn't still on the books. But I digress. The three big RFAs, McLeod, Pugliarvi, Yamamoto. I will guess that since they're dumping Pulley I would guess one year, two million for Strom. You could even go one, I guess you could even do one year, 2.5. That's essentially Fogel's money. And then. Jeez, I don't know. I, I guess he got the six mil. Uh, yeah, I'm not a capologist. Okay. I will quit taking my time here. I'm assuming they're going to need a fourth line left wing. Because I'm assuming Fogel's going to be dealt. Not going to be Josh Archibald. He signed in Pittsburgh. That's a good thing. I would have liked Brendan Lemieux in that spot, even though I'm not a Brendan Lemieux fan. This team could use an agitator. And then, so I'll let you in on a little secret. I got I got a response from someone close to the Oilers today. I texted, what about Zach McEwen now that Nick Delorier is in Philly? And all this person who has some influence on the Oilers texted back was, that's who I would go get. Now, I'm not sure if that person meant that 
that's who I'm that's who I'm hoping they get or if there's something more to that that he knows they're in on him. I like the idea of Zach McEwen. I like the idea of Zach McEwen a lot more if he's a 13th or 14th forward though. So, looking at it, they need they got three spots that they're going to need filled. Two spots on the fourth line, one or two, depends on how you see Devin Shore. And then one healthy scratch. Um, are there any kids who could come in other than Holloway? Because I've got Holloway penciled in for the third line. I think he, he breaks camp with the team. And I think he sticks there all year. Um... Well, let's say hey, this is fun. Rather than rather than me let you go and get on with your life. God, I'm up to 41 minutes. This is going to be a two-hour podcast. Ah, fuck it. I better save it for another night. I was going to go over what the remaining free agents are and who might be a fit with the Oilers. Ah, shit. You've got time. You can turn this off by now if you want. Who would be a good fourth-line type guy for the Oilers to bring in? Off the top of my head, this is where I normally like turning to analytics guys to find value. Zach Sanford is a guy who I like. He's not, a, he's not a, much of a fighter, but he's big. He's big and can play. I like Zach Sanford. If I was looking for a fourth-line guy, left side, you know, a, a Fogel-type replacement, I think he could replace Fogel perfectly. Zach Aston Reese, I really like. Really like Zach Aston Reese. I know his analytics are awesome. Maybe bring in Kyle Turris for... <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> Andre Sacra is a free agent. Bring him back. Uh, Tyler Mott's someone I really like. All seriousness. Tyler Mott in the in the Fogel spot would be great, in my opinion. Here's one. Well, I don't know. You know, he didn't even play last year. Never mind. Never mind. Actually, here's what I'm stunned he's still out there. Evan Rodriguez still out there. Now, I don't know what Evan Rodriguez is going to cost. That is stunning that he is still out there, though. Evan Rodriguez still out there. Um, I liked Michael Raffle in the playoffs. Whew. I kind of always thought what the what was the point of Michael Raffle on any team and then watching him in the playoffs I I really liked him Henrik Borgstrom for fourth line left left wing you know as I don't know if that's the best spot for him but as a guy as a reclamation project bring him in in that spot maybe he, or even the 14th forward spot I don't mind that idea. I don't know how he's trending, though. Like, I'd love to say, yeah, yeah, I know a lot about Henrik Borgstrom. I really don't, though. 
I'm not going to sit here and bullshit anyone. Uh, that's about it that I'm seeing. That doesn't mean that's about it. But it, I'm just looking at the top 100 free agents. Now, that's always according to salary. Ah, there's one that I've always liked, but I don't know what his deal is. Matthew Perot. Matthew Perot could always skate. Ooh, Rem Pitlick. I like Rem Pitlick. Don't know what his analytics are, but I was surprised that he wasn't qualified. And when I say I don't know what his analytics are and things of that nature, I'm not basing this all on analytics. But I like to know what their analytics are. I don't want to just bring in Rem Pitlick because he's a, he's a little gritty guy. I want to know that he can actually play. Like Rem Pitlick, 66 games, 37 points, but most of that's done playing on a shitty Montreal team where he got 14, well, 15 minutes of ice a night. Probably saw a lot of gravy time that he wouldn't see in Edmonton. Could Brett Ritchie be the fourth line enforcer? That, you know, or the fourth line enforcer, the press box enforcer that they need the odd time. I don't know. Again, I'm just thinking out loud. This is going way too long. I apologize. Okay, we're going to see what tomorrow brings. I'll probably be back if there's any, you know, if there's any significant moves. Maybe be back. Ken Harvey of the Kansas City Royals at the plate facing Randy Johnson in the All-Star game. Just so you know. Uh, check it out on YouTube if you get a chance. Um, thanks for putting up with it. If you're still listening to this part of the podcast, thanks for listening to this. This got way out of <laughs> This was supposed to be maybe an hour, 15-minute podcast, and here I'm running close to two hours. Oh, my God. I feel worse than Ken Harvey did striking out just now. Um, thanks for listening. This was Soups on Hockey. I'm Tyler Campbell. We'll see you next time. Hopefully not as boring.